Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you weren't here last week, we uh, started to go back to our uh, series through the book of Exodus. And if we remember from last summer, fall, and who doesn't remember what happened last summer and fall? Um, we had just finished teaching through the giving of the law and the case laws, the implication of the, the Ten Commandments. The people of God have just been delivered from Egypt and are, are now at Mount Sinai where God is giving uh, the law uh, to the people of Moses, uh, to the people through Moses. And last week, Pastor Nate kind of set the stage talking about the covenants. Uh, and for the next few chapters now, God is going to be giving Moses instructions for how to build the tabernacle. And he gets kind of into the nitty gritty of measurements and uh, certain materials that are to be used and not to be used. And uh, in this, um, this tabernacle that's being built, this sanctuary, is the very home of God. And in our uh, few verses we have before us this morning from Exodus, uh, Exodus, not Exodus, I don't think that's in the Bible, but Exodus 25, uh, 1 through 9 is going to be kind of the preamble to some of the nitty-gritty instructions. And so that's what we're going to read together. If you have a Bible, feel free to open it to Exodus uh, 25. We're going to do verses 1 through 9. It's also in the bulletin before you. But hear now uh, the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, Akasha wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for the setting of the ephod and for the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen. Pray with me. Most holy and merciful Father, everlasting God, we come before you needing your spirit to speak to us. We are desperate for your spirit to speak to us through these words. May you enlighten our hearts. May you make us not just hearers of your word, but doers. We trust that you will help make this happen by the power of the Spirit working in us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the year 2004, I found myself living alone in a small apartment in Everett, Washington. It was scenic. Everett, Washington. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where it was a small, dingy apartment where half of it I had to walk around, you know, like this. But I loved it. 
and it was mine. And it was my first apartment. I even loved paying bills. I was like, well, how cool is this? I don't think it's so cool anymore. But for a month, I did. And I remember, like it was yesterday, one afternoon, I was sitting in this small apartment, living by myself, wondering, what was I doing? I was like, believe it or not, my dream in 2004 was not to live in a small apartment in 2004. And I was like, how did I get here? I was working at a UPS store. And this kind of moment in life, there was this moment of profound depression, of sadness, of feeling a distance from God, wondering what he was doing with me in my life. This distance was so profound. I remember this moment where I was sitting there on the couch, and I was praying to God. I was asking, I said, God, please show yourself to me. If you're there, if you are real, show yourself to me. Can you like flick a light or something on and off or maybe, you know, maybe a small trimmer. Nothing big. You know, I don't need you to topple any buildings, but just, just a small little shake. I'll know it was you and then I'll be able to, you know, be encouraged and move on. And so I sat there staring at this light, holding my hand out, you know, like I was trying to use the force or something. And uh, I'm probably the only one this has ever happened to. And, uh, and guess what happened? Nothing, right? Absolutely nothing. I, uh, nothing happened. <laughs> and perhaps you've had moments like this in your life where you were just desperate for God to show himself to you. Some sort of physical manifestation, God, please show yourself to me. And nothing happened. You know, maybe you're actually feeling this now. Maybe you're in a place in life where you're just desperate for God to do something and to move and you feel like he is distant. He's nowhere to be found. In these moments, in these moments of silence, I think we can be tempted to actually believe that God is distant, that he is far off, that he is just sitting up there wherever there is, as if you could like hop on one of Elon Musk's you know, spaceships and fly to him, just up there chilling, sipping some mead, choosing to listen to us sometimes, sometimes not. It's all random. And this, I think, causes us to live lives as if God actually isn't near us. We live lives that we think are hidden from God, but he's not really interested in us. And I think here in Exodus, we actually have an amazing challenge to this. And it's this, the what if God is not so far off, even in his silence? The what if God is actually near to us? And actually, I think this is exactly what we find here in Exodus. We find the God who is near. And in this section, even in the nitty-gritty of the building of his home, we find a God who's not just like, well, I guess you guys are whining and complaining. I'll come down and hang out with you for a little bit. But we find a God who's actually eager to be with his people, who desires to be with his people, God who wants it. And I think there's three things we're going to learn here in this passage about the heart of God and his desire to be near to us. And the first is this, that God shows his desire to be near to us because he invites us to be near through our participation in his work. That God invites us to be near through our participation in his work. You know, we actually draw near to God and our participation with his work 
because we're working with him. We're working right beside him. His invitation to work beside him is an invitation to draw near to him. Like a child drawing near to the parent in the kitchen, you know, gathering ingredients, making bread together. Or in a shop, gathering wood, making cuts, putting a table together. You know, does that child actually help the parent create the thing that they're creating? No. Right? If anything, it, it takes longer. Right? And it's hard. But... The children love it because they get to draw near to their parent. And the parent loves it because they get to draw near to their child and teach them and show them the way. And this is a picture of what it's like between us and God. And I think we find this invitation to be near to God and our participation in two particular ways in this passage. The first is this. It's in the the contributions. In the contributions. You see this in the first seven verses. I'll read just verse 2 uh, again, speak to the Lord, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution from me. You know, the, the unique thing about this contribution is that God doesn't command the people to give it. He actually says, listen, if you're led to give from your heart, then give. It seems like it's an optional thing. It isn't written in the book of law for them, but it's an above and beyond gift of the heart. I think with, with this, we might be tempted to think, well, phew. <laughs> I only have to give this kind of above and beyond gift if I feel like it. Uh, so if I feel like I want something else or I want to use the resources that God's given me to, to do something else with them, to save them up, to invest them, I can do what I want with them. You know, but the thing is, the idea of the heart in the ancient world was not just speaking of mere feelings. You know, I think it's easy for us to think about our heart in terms of feeling. Like we might say, oh, I just wasn't feeling it today. We're talking about, really, our heart's desires. Uh, but in the ancient world, when they spoke of the heart, they're talking about the seat of the will. So the heart actually truly exposes who someone is. For instance, when Jesus says, where your money is, your heart will be also, he's actually asking, what drives you as a person? Is it money? Is money uh, sitting at the seat of your will? And so here God is saying to his people, listen, do you really want my presence among you? Do you really want me to draw near to you? Well, then show me. And God invites his people into his work through their contributions, through their giving of their things. What's amazing is actually later in Exodus, we actually find out that the people actually did show God. And that they gave so much that Moses and leaders had to tell the people to stop. Stop giving so much. Now it's easy to think that, well, you know, maybe they're just giving away old used things, But what kind of stuff does it say that they give? It says they gave their most prized possessions. In verse 3, and the list goes on. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, and purple, scarlet, yarns, and so forth. These things that are listed are not easy to come by. Gold, silver, bronze. You have to work to get these resources. 
That's what makes them so valuable, right? That's what makes them valuable even in our own day. And so God is not asking for their day-old, day, days-old used bread. He's asking for their best. He's asking for their most prized possessions, possessions that they would have come from, with them from Egypt, treasures that would have, would, would have helped them rebuild when they eventually made it to the promised land, treasures that would have helped them set their lives up. And here they spend them to build a home for God in the desert. It's easy to give away a dying car when you buy a new one. It's much harder to give away a new car. And here, the people of God actually give away the shiny new Ferrari with joy. Responding to God's invitation to participate in his work by bringing the treasures before God. This act actually brought them close to God. It drew their hearts close to God. And we actually experience this, I think, too, when we give sacrificially, when we give of the resources that God has given us. It makes us feel good, doesn't it? It makes us feel connected to the people we're giving to, and it actually makes us feel connected to God and his mission. And this is not an accident. He actually created us to feel that way by design. But the people of God weren't just invited to gather up all these materials for this building project and kind of just dump them in a pile, like an intern getting coffee for the real work to be done. But he actually invites us to participate in our work as well. And we see this actually at the very end in verse 9. He says, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So you shall make it. You know, God can build, right? He created this entire world. I think he did actually a pretty good job. Pretty good job. I have a few complaints, but it's pretty good, right? So God is actually, he's clearly a skilled, you know, craftsman. But again, he draws near to us like a father to a child by inviting us to participate, by giving us the materialist, by giving us the blueprints, and then inviting us to do the actual work of the building. And some of this, you know, gets into more detail later on as we learn about the various craftsmen that come and use their gifts to build the temple, the stone workers, the, the carpenters, the seamstresses, all using their talents to come and work alongside the great architect because they love him and he loves them. So what we learn here first in God's desire to be near to his people is that he wants us to work beside him. He wants us to be active participants in his work. Through our participation in the work of God, God draws near to us. And this is actually his invitation. This is his initiation. He's the one that came up with this plan. And even for us, he's invited us into his work through this project that is the church so that you would be involved. He gave us this thing that is the church to get his people involved in his work, to grow his kingdom. Using your time, using your treasures, using your talents. And sometimes when we feel the distance of God, when we feel that coldness creeping in, it could be that at least a part of our problem is that our participation is lacking. 
but our participation is lacking because God has also invited you into his work. And are you, is Christ Church, responding the way the people responded to this in Exodus? Are we giving so much of our time and energy and talents and treasures that the leaders of the church are actually like, no, 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 stop. And the truth is, there's actually some of you that, that are like that, where you give so much of your time, your treasures, your talents, everything that you have, you, you just give and you pour out. But if we're honest, there's some of us that don't. There's times when I don't. And this is a challenge for us, because ignoring to give of our time, treasures, and talents is not just a personal thing. It's actually a thing that distances us from God. So a question that we can ask ourselves is, what is our participation in God's work through the church reveal to you about your own heart's desires? Because it is in your joining the work of God that he actually comes near, and he wants you to come near. He wants you to work with him, to be his apprentice. So we need to join him with joy. And this is what it means for God to draw near to us in our, in, our, in our work. But God is not merely just this architect, right, who designs the world and stands back from it, letting it sit and spin. But he actually dwells in the world. The house that we're building is for him. And this leads to our second point, which is this, that God draws near to us in his sanctuary. God draws near to us in his sanctuary. And we see this desire for God to be near to us quite clearly in verse 8. He says, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst. So why does God want a sanctuary to be built? So he can be with his people. He wants to be with his people. So what is this, this sanctuary thing? You know, sanctuary is this word that means holy place. It is actually where we get our word sanctified, which is this kind of fancy theological word we use to talk about the process of becoming holy. And so a sanctuary is a holy place, a place that has already been sanctified. Right? It's modeled after heaven. It is heaven on earth. And it's God saying, build me a sanctuary, a holy place so that I can live with you. So all this work to gather, all this work to build, is so that God can have a place that is holy to live among his people. But you might wonder, if, listen, if God is God, if he is all-powerful, if he created all things, can he just come and go as he pleases? Like, why does he actually need a home to be close to his people? It's a good question. I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. Um, I think there's a couple answers to this question. For one is this. God is holy. We are not. What does that mean? It means this. To be holy is to be consecrated. It's to be fully devoted and dedicated to God and his work. God is fully consecrated. He is dedicated and devoted to his work. This is holiness. This is the thing that actually sets him apart. And for us, we lack that dedication and that devotion. We have split devotions, split dedications. It was actually in our confession this morning. We just confessed that we have split devotions. And so God needs a place that is set apart, that is holy, and that is equally as dedicated to the work of the Lord as he is in order to live there. 
Secondly, the truth is God actually has been coming and going as he pleases throughout Genesis, after the fall, and even until now, speaking through different uh, prophets, through different people. But now the change is God wants to set up a more permanent home with his people, not so that he can have a place to sleep, but so he can have a presence with his people. Just like Adam had the presence of God in the garden before the fall, so God wants to have a presence with his people and that his people would be his presence amongst the rest of the world. And so through this, his presence would spread to the ends of the earth. And the tabernacle, the sanctuary, is part of the process of making that a reality again. The purpose of the tabernacle is to meet with God because God lives there. And this leads to the second half of verse 8, that he wants to dwell in their midst. That the very purpose, the building of the sanctuary so that God could be with his people, to dwell means to reside, to settle, to build a home. I mean, think about the neighborhood that even you live in, that you dwell in, that you make home. It means that your presence is actually in your neighborhood. It means that you have an effect on your neighbors, and your neighbors actually have an effect on you whether you like it sometimes or not, especially when they're revving up their engine at 11 at night. Am I right? Yeah. Our presence has an effect in our neighborhood. And to be in the midst of the people, for God to be in the midst of the people is for God to be in the center of them. So we don't have a God who likes to keep his hands off his work, but we have a God who is down in the dirt, who builds a dwelling place down in the dirt, one that actually, as we will find as we go, that can be moved. You know, the people of God to this point did not have a permanent place on earth. Right? They had to get up and they had to move and travel. And this tabernacle was meant to go and move and travel with them. And as they traveled, the tabernacle would actually travel in the center of the people. The whole camp or camp would go around this tabernacle, being at the center, and his presence right in the middle. And this presence in the middle of the people gives them an identity. Their physical orientation matches their spiritual one. That they are not a people who do what they please. But they are meant to be a holy people. They are meant to be a people that are dedicated and devoted to the Lord. So what we find is that we have a God who wants to draw near to his people. And he makes a way to draw near to his people through the building of a sanctuary. A holy place. You know, something that you will find as you travel in parts of the world is you'll find churches set up in the, in the very center of towns. You know, one town I remember clearly um, that was like this was in central Mexico, just outside of Guadalajara. There was this little town I was spending some time working with some missionaries um, with, and this whole town's um, life revolved around this church that ended up being in the very center of their town. And this is not by accident. This is by design. You know, so much so that, you know, one event I remember that would happen there is that in the evening, uh, communities, families would all come and gather around there. The um, older people would kind of sit around the outside of this kind of square, and uh, the kids would be in the middle, and the girls would be in the inside in the circle kind of walking this direction. And the, the guys would be on the outside walking the opposite direction. 
It's kind of this courting ritual that they would do. So you kind of see somebody once, say, hey, and you kind of walk around, and you see them again, and you're like, hey, can I walk with you? And you walk together maybe one round while all the grandparents and parents are like this, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and then you got to go back to walk in your other direction. It's kind of this way, but it was, it was just one of the ways that culturally this whole community was centered around the church. And the same is true for the Israelites. The same is true for us. Even still, we gather on the first, Sunday, on the first day of the week, Sunday, to orient ourselves, to orient our lives around the gospel, where we remember who God is, that we remember who we are in him, and that God is actually present with us in these moments right now in a very unique way as a gathered people of God. God draws it near to us in this place. So how does he draw near to us now if we don't have a, a tabernacle anymore? And the answer is through Jesus. And this is our last third and final point is that God makes a way to be near in Jesus. That God makes a way to be near to him in Jesus. You know, it's, it's interesting. In Jesus, God comes to live in a normal house. He comes to live in a normal human body, a body that has the same physical limitations that we have, that he gets hungry and tired, a body that gets wounded and bruised just like ours, born of a woman. He experiences sadness and joy just like the rest of us. And the word in the Gospel of John in John chapter 1 that he uses to talk about the dwelling of Christ is actually a word that means tabernacle. That when Jesus came down to the earth, he actually dwelled with us, he tabernacled among us. Jesus, the very presence of God among his people. Jesus, God in the flesh, finding a way to be near his people. And the amazing thing is that he not only draws near to us, but he actually makes a way for us to draw near to him. And we actually desperately need this from him. We need God to be the one that pursues us because a challenge for us that we've already mentioned is that we actually have split devotions and dedications in our lives. We are wholly devoted to God in some moments, and then in other moments we aren't, right? We bounce in a world between love and hate, between peace and anger, contentment and lust. We have mixed loves, and these mixed loves actually pull us away from God, and so we desperately need Jesus to come to pursue us, and to make a way to be near to God, the Holy One. And Jesus accomplishes this amazing task through his work on the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul says it like this. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In his death and resurrection, Jesus takes our sin, our unholiness, our unconsecratedness upon himself so we can have his holiness. And having his holiness allows the spirit of God to now be inside of us. The same spirit that dwelled in the tabernacle now dwells in you. This is actually pretty wild stuff. Let me read you this from 1 Corinthians 3. 
about this. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Paul says this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. God, God's spirit now dwells in each one of us that call Christ Lord. The very tabernacle that was built with all of its adornments and spectacle and glory, the glory of the Lord, his presence among his people now lives inside of you. And because of this, you are made holy. You are now consecrated to the Lord. And just as God's dwelling place was in the midst of the Israelites, forming them, shaping them, giving them their identity, making them clean, now we are that, the gathered church. You know, when we gather together, we're like these gathered little temples coming, formed by the indwelling Spirit of God, which encourages us, convicts us of sin, moves us towards acts of love, moves us towards holiness. The same God that was worshipped in the tabernacle and all the splendor and glory is the same God we actually come before week after week here. And this is made possible through Christ because he has made us holy because the same spirit of God that was in the tabernacle lives inside of us. What this means is that God is very near. <laughs> he is inside of us. And even when it feels like God's distance is profound, he couldn't be closer. So I guess the question then is this. Why does the God who is all-powerful, who lives inside of us, feel distant. How is it even possible for God to feel distant if he lives inside of us? You know, in Psalm 11, verse 4, we get this amazing verse that uh, I meditate on often, and it's this. Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven his eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. Think for a moment about the people that this is being written to in Exodus. The, the people in, in Exodus, they've just spent generations in Egypt, in captivity, crying out to the Lord, feeling ignored. They were tested by the eyelids of the Lord. And the truth is, we don't always know why God feels distant. But we do always know that God is with us. And that he wants us to draw near to him in those moments, not away. He wants us to trust him. And when we look over the history of the stories of scripture, the story of, of other people's lives in the church and even in our own lives. What do we learn? We learn ultimately that we worship a God who can be trusted. That even in the most dire circumstances, we worship a God who is quite near to us. And God is teaching us that whether we feel and sense his closeness or whether we feel and sense his distance, he is near, he is watching. Those eyelids close for a moment, he is there. Although his blinks can feel like an eternity, it's actually in those moments 
when we trust in the midst of the blinking eyes of the Lord that we experience his closeness, closeness most profoundly. You know, back in 2004, when I was feeling desperate, alone, sitting on that couch, desperate for God to act and move, the thing that kept me, the thing that kept me from going over the cliff and turning my back on God was the church, was the people of God, being connected to the church, and both people reaching out to me and me reaching out to it. You know, I had one friend, his name was Isaac. He worked at Trader Joe's, and he would come by my apartment after his night shift, bringing with me, you know, the goods that were getting left behind, so orange chicken, lots of orange chicken. And we would cook it, and we'd sit, and we'd eat, and we'd share about life until it got late in the night. And then, you know, one day, he remembered my birthday. This is before Facebook. I ruined that for everybody. Uh, but he remembered. He brought over this, I remember, this little lemon pound cake, and we didn't have any candles, and he pulled out a cigarette and tried to light that and use that as a candle. <laughs> it didn't work. Just don't try that at home. But it was just him pursuing me, kept me. And then other people from the church pursuing me, asking me to serve and be invested in the church, kept me serving. I didn't always feel like it. To be honest, sometimes it felt quite empty. But through it, God pursued me, protected me, drew me near to him, helped me to know that even if I don't feel him, he is there. We are his presence. And so we, as the presence of God, are called to be that, to reach out to each other, to remind each other that God is near, that God is close, and that we are loved. And ultimately, in this moment in my life, God led me uh, to move to Canada. And maybe God's moving, calling you to move to Canada. I don't know. But whatever it is, he's calling you to. Even in your most profound moments of distance, God is with you. He is near to you. And he wants you to be near to him. May we at Christ Church be the kind of people who learn to wait, to trust, to hope in God. So that even when he feels distant, even when his eyelids are testing us, we don't stray. But we grow even closer to him in our work and in our worship. Pray with me. Most merciful and holy Father, the God who is near to us, who is with us, we come before you desperate for you to act in our lives, for you to reveal yourself to us, for you to give us patience and courage, for you to strengthen us and help us to trust and hope and believe that you are there. And even when it feels cold, help us to know your presence. May we abide in you and may you abide in us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.